All right, let's have a seat, everybody. Well, it is a great pleasure this morning to have uh, Paul and Elizabeth Johnson. Uh, I see Elizabeth. Elizabeth, come on up here and join us, please. Don't worry, we'll find Paul. We'd rather talk to you anyways. (laughs) Would you welcome Elizabeth? said, isn't she beautiful? (laughs) Paul, come on up. We've already welcomed your wife, so you've missed all the applause. You can, sure. Yeah. So you can give them the mic? Yes, I can give them the mic. When we're, yeah, yeah. So, um, We've known Paul and Elizabeth since 2016. Is that about right? When you came to visit us the first time? No, no, hold on. 2015. Okay. So, Elizabeth, um, you uh, are from Rwanda, grew up in Rwanda, and you are a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. And so, uh, just briefly, just bring us up a little bit, and then we'll get into the ministry part of what God's doing in Rwanda and so forth. So, yeah, thank you. So basically, I was born and raised in Rwanda, and um, you know, persecution, like uh, discrimination. We grew up that way, but for us, it was normal. Being, I don't know if you know, there are three ethnic in Rwanda at that time. Now we are all Rwandans, which is really a bonus because. They're trying to bring the unity. But before it was the Hutus, who are like almost 85%, and the Tutsis were 14, and I was among those 14. And there was a Pygmy, who the First Nation, who were like maybe 1%, 2%. So during the 60s, we had the king, and then uh, who was a Tutsi? Minority. They kind of had the power at that time. And in the 60s, the like early 60s, I was not born by then. They actually turned over because of the, you know, Berigians. We were Berigian colony and the Catholic Church. They were really behind saying why Tutsis are leading when they are minority. They kind of twisted the whole thing. And then the Hutus, who are my, my majority, started to kick the Tutsis out. And that's how my dad stayed in the country and my mom. But uh, their, you know, other siblings went through, like, some went to Uganda, others in Congo, Tanzania, they had to find refuge because they are killing them and taking all their belongings and taking their land. So from then, when I was born, it was just, you, you know you are Tutsi, you can't go to school, you can't get a job. But we, it was normal to us, we felt, you know what, it's normal. So then in ni- 1990, the Tutsi who left in the 60s came back by force from Uganda, trying to say, you know what, this is our country, we have the right to come back home. When they started negotiating, the government at that time said, no, we don't have enough land to ev- for everybody. You stay where you are. So that's how they invaded one in 1990, in October. And from then till 1994, that was when they started, you know, they were preparing all the genocide because they had had a, like a common grave everywhere. Like. But for us, because at that time we had the UN that came in for, you know, to kind of bring peace um, among the, the, the negotiation with the Hutus and Tutsis who are fighting. And we, for, for us, when Rwanda, we started actually being persecuted. So my brother was killed uh, three months after they invaded Rwanda in October, so the, in January. So he was, they took him in the national park, they killed him. He was only 27. But at that time, you don't have right to say anything because they were killing more people than... If you are Tutsi, they see you as someone who can be, you know, me being part maybe of helping them. They were just trying to get them out of the, you know, the site so they don't help them. And we lived with all those three years, but in the meantime, you know, fear, like, but in 1994, in April, that's when now it became like the final phase of killing Otutis. The president of Rwanda, along with the president of Burundi, they were coming from Tanzania where the negotiation was happening with the UN and support from other international community to bring peace in Rwanda. The plan was shut down by whoever we don't know yet, because they're still saying it's Hutus, it's Tutsis. I can't go into that. But when that plan was shut down, 
I was actually supposed to leave to go to Brussels the following morning. That night they started killing, and within 100 days, they still have a number between maybe 800 to a million people. In 100 days, it was like a mass killing at the point that they would take you, like uh, they would try to escort you to one location in the churches and the schools. So when you are together, then they'll come and uh, you know, go around you and just shoot and kill and kill and kill. So I was blessed. Sometimes I look back and I'm asking myself, how did I survive? I don't know. But all I know is that God had a plan for me and a purpose for me. So in 1990, basically I stayed after the genocide, after surviving, and I lost my dad. My sister was killed with over her seven kids. And and don't name aunties, uncles. Like in the village, no one survived. But luckily, I have my sister and two brothers who survived. They are on their own ways. So, 1999, I decided, it's not me. I think the Lord just led me put, you know, I was all the time wanting to come to, you know, somewhere I can study because I wanted really to go to school. And, and I wanted to get out of Rwanda at that time. So, that's how I ended up in Canada. In Langley. The first church I went to go, so that's where Paul was going, in one of the Grove Baptist Church. At that time, I forgot to mention, born and raised Catholic, so I didn't really... After the genocide, I started searching because I was working for World Vision, which is a Christian organization, and we were exposed to so many um, you know, counseling, and sometimes we have people to come, come and uh, you know, give us a little bit of... You know, they were, we had devotions. So I didn't have a Bible, but it was the last year when I left, before I left, a friend of mine who was a co-worker gave me a Bible. And I remember when I was about maybe two weeks before I left Rwanda, I was really searching, knowing what God is calling me to do. So that's when I was being given uh, Jeremiah. At that time, I didn't even know how to look in the Bible. You know, I know it was a Bible, but we didn't, because if you don't have it, you don't know how to, to use it. But I was given the word in Jeremiah 17, verse eight and, uh, 7 and 8. When I got that verse, which say, you know, those who trust in the Lord will be like a tree planted by the river. It's the same as Psalm 1 at the beginning. I walked with that verse from the time I left Rwanda to Canada, and the Lord just made my path like so clear. And so I got support that I felt, you know what, the Lord was with me. When I met Paul, we didn't know that we'd get married till maybe eight years later, because I went to school and he went and did my thing. And later on, I don't know how the Lord brought us together. But I believe to that everyone has a call. And God has a plan for you. But sometimes you don't find it till later, like in my case, but sometimes maybe people may find it earlier, that I was saved for a reason. Because when I left Rwanda, I said I will never go back to Rwanda. Because the bitterness, the anger I had within me was beyond that I felt like I would never, never go back to that country. But God is like, no, it's not that. When I met Paul, we went to Rwanda for the first year in 2000, and we got married in 2007. 2008, we went back together and we had another wedding in Rwanda. That's when the Lord started touching my heart and I started feeling like, you know, there's something missing in me. Being in the country like North America and Canada where you have so much, I started really realizing there is a way the Lord can use me and even, you know, some, like other people who survived. If all together we can see Christ in the eyes of the people we see around us, we can forgive and move on. I give you one just a scenario just to conclude. When I'm saying my survival, when, uh, even when we go to the ministry, just keep this in mind. In Rwanda, we are serving in the country. When you go, it's very nice, it's very safe. Everything looks very nice, especially like Western Canadian people, the younger generation who were born after the genocide. They are really coping very well, but you still have people like me and older like me, who lived the genocide. Some women have been raped and raped by how many guys they don't even know. They are now living with HIV, with uh, some diseases that you can't even imagine. Or they had a child during all those raping. Some of them you have kids who are, who are born. It's now 25 years ago only. So the wounds are still fresh. We are serving in the country where you can't see the wounds outside, but inside. People are being, there's, there's like a, it's like a, a tumor growing. But to me, finding Christ and becoming a believer was the only way I can look back and say, you know what, if Christ died for me, I think he can use me and I can go back and, and, and help my own people. 
And that's why when Paul, actually with his calling himself, because he had also his journey at the end, we look back and we can find that the Lord put us together for a purpose to go back, help other people. We are not the only ministry. There are so many ministries that are doing so many things. But when I look, when we are serving, in, uh, we are in Kigali and in Rurindo and other sites, and I am, I am with these ladies, we are just making these necklaces, we are learning the word of God together, but some of them are those who are wounded like me. They have been like, they are widows, they lost home, everybody, they are just survived alone. And now they are living in the country where they are seated with the wife of someone who had a machete and come and chopped their kids and their husband. So reconciliation is happening. But though the government has great policies that are helping to get to that point, Christ is still needed. Because I believe it's only Christ, him alone, who can heal the wounds of Rwandans. You can see it outside, but inside they are, they are being rotten. But only Christ, because if I can be healed, anyone else can be healed. So, thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> doors uh, through books, libraries, and literacy. Can you just tell us a little bit? Uh, they have, with not one nickel from the government, but an open door from the government, because they love what you're doing, exactly. have uh, built and stocked, at the present, 23 libraries in Rwanda, uh, and they have a contract right now with the Anglican Church mm -hmm. to do six more. Yeah. And uh, all of the labor, a lot of the labor that you, you found street kids that were working in a wood shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some uh, street boys. They take the street boys off the streets and they put them in a rehabilitation center on, on, a, on, a, on a small island in Lake Kivu, which is on the east side on the Congo border. And when they go through that rehabilitation, they're taught all many different trades. So there was 34 of them that, that got together after when they graduated, and they're back in the city in the, in the, in the area that they live in. And um, they just decided, like, let's, let's start a carpentry shop. So they approached the Ministry of Youth, which is in charge of that, um, in charge of that part of that uh, Camp Iwawa, as it's called, uh, rehabilitation center. So the ministry gave them some, some you know, planers, some sewing machines, some, and, and they rented a small little area within the inner city, and it's kind of like the street boy city area. It's, it's not a slum area, it's just a, a very poor area, and uh, it kind of reminds me, when I was a youth, when I became a Christian, I started working with street people because I used to kind of live part of my life on the street myself, but these guys, they needed jobs. Like we, when we first met them, they were almost a year since they started. So when the year came, we gave them a big, huge Christmas, or like a big cake. I mean, did a celebration. We showed the Jesus film. We did some, uh, gave them some Bibles and stuff like that. So, you know, they didn't go. Some of them went through the genocide, and there's some that are 12, 13, 14 years old, and they're still they're not going to school or anything. So we're trying to reach out to to them now we rented a little facility a little building for them so we did some ministry and then we gave it to them to look after but they couldn't make enough funds so we, they had to let that building go but they also used it to build other furnitures and stuff donna so my question to you paul is um i understand how rwanda is sewn into elizabeth's heart but how did the two of you make the decision that you needed to actually move to Rwanda? Long story short, we got, when we got married in 2007 in Canada, of course, her relatives couldn't come for the wedding, so we went there. And then we visited her school, and she continued to say that I have to do something for my country. I, I, I want to go back and do something for my country. So it took, so we went to her school, her elementary school, we actually helped them to build a kitchen up for, to feed 1,500 children there. So we actually, before that, we formed a charity in Canada called Grace Rwanda Society. It's a registered Canadian charity based out of BC here. And uh, through donors and stuff, we were able to build that kitchen, which is still there today. We supplied that school to dairy cows, and all of their babies since then have been designated to other schools. So I think there's four other schools that have dairy cows to help the children with, um, you know, milk. So. 
in that process, I mean, I, I was a Christian. I, I, have, I was self-employed. I, ha I, I had my own little self-employed business and uh, for many, many years. So it wasn't until we started also to, pl to, to start a church ministry there called New Life. Now, on our prayer card on the table, if I should have brought one out, but come and get a prayer card on our table, and it'll say uh, Grace Rwanda and New Life in Jesus Christ. So Grace Rwanda is our Canadian charity. That's where we do the literacies through. And then the, the church ministry we started was New Life. Now, as the time went on, that church ministry planted nine churches in Rwanda. It's not a Calvary Chapel model. We got called out of that ministry when we were in Rwanda. Uh, going back uh, was 2012 when we went back because we continually go like eight weeks out of every summer. And self-employed was kind of hard for me just to stop everything and go. Uh, but I had faithful customers that would, you know, they said, don't worry about it, we'll, we'll keep you working after you get back. So that was kind of good. So we started in her school. We built um, community gardens. We built uh, a block of latrines. And, um, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. She, when she went to school, there was this old building, this old uh, classroom building. It's a fairly long building. It had maybe eight classrooms in it. So it was made out of mud. So we helped them to build a whole new uh, block of school buildings. We supplied the roofing, the roofing structure, some of the roofing structure and stuff, and then we hired them with the labor and stuff, and basically get some cement that the government supplied for the building. And so there's a new classroom there as well. And uh, yeah, my calling. Um, it's it's okay. I've experienced the Lord in kind of some unique ways in my life. So. The elders of that church ministry we helped in 2012 when we were going back, they said that they heard from God that I was to be ordained as a pastor in Rwanda. I'm not a pastor. I mean, I went to Bible school in my early years as a Christian in my 20s, but I never completed school. And I said, you know, I said, no, we're just helping you. You know, we give some funding for the church buildings or whatever. We give you some ministry help. And, but we're also at, on the board as well because we were the founders. So, no, they insisted that they heard from God that I'm to be ordained as a, as a pastor in Rwanda. So I said to Elizabeth, well, I haven't heard from God, you know. <laughs> a lot of people, they say that. But anyway, so I said, when I go to Rwanda, I need to go away someplace and find out. So what I did was I rented a small room in a little hotel, very quiet area. And I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm how you're going to reveal to me what I'm supposed to do, if this is true or not, but I need to find out. So I, I fasted and prayed. I read through Matthew and the book of John. So Matthew... Uh, didn't experience anything and I was kind of reading it out loud to keep concentrating and so when I got to John chapter 15 if someone can turn to John chapter 15 verse 16 John chapter 15 verse 16 and just uh, stand and uh, whoever finds it first just stand up and tell us what it is please Amen. Thank you. So while I was reading and coming to that verse, it, like I didn't hear anything. I didn't experience any emotions or I didn't know what I was trying to find. So as I read that verse, I heard another voice over top of mine repeating the same thing. And when I finished the verse, it stopped. So then I picked up my cell phone and I said, okay, I'm out of here. So Elizabeth came and picked me up. And then it took us, when we went back to Canada, it took us two years to close up our life. I sold my business. We sold our house, bought a condo. And just move we moved we got a container moved moved our vehicle and most of our stuff over there that we could and so we started our journey there but that took elizabeth two years to adjust to that and say okay you know she she didn't want to go back to rwanda sure we were helping out there and doing good things but it it, it was a good thing it took two years because it, for her it was a big transition if you can explain what you went through yeah basically when we went in 2012 actually i went and i was able to meet Someone, and I think I did share that previously here. Someone who killed my nephew who was eight, and uh, my sister had only one daughter who, s who survived, Nick. she's still living in Rwanda. He wa she was 16, and uh, when she was in the church with my sister, they killed everybody. And these common tombs are still there. It's just on my way home. You have like maybe 6,000 in one common grave. So when we go, what do we do? Just put flowers on. You know, there are some of maybe 60 people from my family members, but because when you go in the village, there's no one. So this gentleman, Jean-Baptiste, grabbed the brother when, uh, you know, Anik, my niece, was 16, and the brother was 8. 
when they were going back to the village escorted by the militia, and by the way, my niece was also raped, 16 years old. Because the militia are looking at you because you're a beautiful lady, they're trying now to see, let me try the, you know, a, a Tutsi woman. They are not the same as a Tutsi woman, but she survived. And again, I'm talking about God's grace. If it wasn't God alone, if you see Anika today, you won't even tell. You can't even know what happened. She's a mother of four. She met this gentleman, Jean-Baptiste. We lay hands on them and we pray together. And I felt that the, the peace of God that surpassed all understanding. There's no way Rwanda can heal apart from Christ alone. So Jean-Baptiste is living in the community. Anik is uh, standing alone. The whole family is gone. The village is gone. No house, nothing. But still, they can shake hands and say, I forgive you. And Jean-Baptiste can say, thank you for forgiving me. But the point I'm trying to bring here, what is my role? It's not just to pray for Jean-Baptiste and pray Anik to kind of meet and shake hands. It's actually to see Jean-Baptiste becoming someone later on who can go in my village where there is nothing or my sister's home. Plant a church there, they can be ministering and be the one to share the love of Christ. Because Jean-Baptiste has killed over maybe 50, 100 people. Because when they are on the road broke, they were killing just without. And guess what? He was only, I think it was like 13 years old, boy, boy, young, young boy. So did he really understand what he was doing? I don't think so. So some of them went into doing what they were doing because of peer pressure, because of the, you have a minister or someone who's uh, on the radio, national radio, saying he killed Tutsis. You get their land, you get their house. Some of them did it that way. So that's the power of forgiveness I'm talking about. It will happen only if me, who survived, and those who committed these crimes can come and work together for the same sake of seeing Christ in all. Because we are all sinners. But the fact to accept that God can forgive, and there is no bigger sin and smaller sin. When you accept, when we are, uh, it, that's my view. When you accept Christ in you, and the Bible just tells about it, that's all you need. The grace is sufficient to all. But it's up to us to go that one step and say, yes, Jesus, here I am. I surrender all to you, then use me. And I think that's what I want to add on, just. So, <laughs> um, so you came to Canada with a little girl. And you had a business that was, I assume, doing well, and you were prospering at the business, and um, you're living comfortably in Canada, you got your education in Canada, you're raising your daughter in Canada, and then you go back to a country where you were a victim and witnessed horrible atrocities. So those things, but what was the worst thing for you about leaving Canada? I think the worst thing for living was to go there and not be successful and stepping in what God is calling me to do. And I think that's why sometimes when we do what we do in Rwanda, uh, Paul can be my witness, sometimes I'm just crying like, how come we are not getting where we want to go? In the sense, let me give you an example. We have like a group of women, I'm telling just as an example. We are doing some craft as you saw, they can now be able to make about the dress and when I see that I'm there, but I'm useless in terms of maybe not having enough capacity, financial, human resources, and or even like a church, having a church standing so we can be dancing together or getting the permit to be able to do a church openly because we're still in the planting phase. We have Bible studies, but we haven't really opened officially a church as it is, but as a covered chapel church. But we are in the process of doing all the paperwork. But when I'm, it was like I'm going yes. And again, I'm talking about education. I could have stayed in Canada and make a lot of money. Because when I came in, I had all my education to getting even a master's at Trinity Western University. I could get a good job. I can speak French, English. I can go in the government and get a good job that will pay me more. But the point was, am I, am I really going to give, give up these, all these benefits I have to go in Rwanda? What if I fail? Like, it, it, it really sometimes don't on me sometimes when we are, when we have 25 cents remaining, when we don't have money to pay for electricity. But all the time, and this is really a testimony, when we are that level, that's when the Lord just will bring us up and I can say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Because we have never, never wanted anything and never, you know, it, we have been like a, every day, there is no regret if I said it that way. When I wake up in the morning, I have all these ladies with me and they are coming and they're, 
hugging men, you can see them standing telling you, now I understand. You know, I knew, before I knew that baptism was the only way I can go to heaven if I'm baptized. Or they're telling me, I've read this verse, but I didn't get it. And now they're going home. They're sharing with the, the husbands. The kids now, we have almost 150 kids who are coming on our center. They come and go home uh, saying, oh, Jesus loves me. That's all I get. So there's no regret, even though it was very hard to kind of accept going without having, because we, we left with nothing apart from our own pension from my husband. And I thank you for your help, though, because we have received some help from you. <laughs> thank you. Well, well, let me add a little bit there. We, we, bought, some when <coughs> we bought some strategic property throughout, property throughout the country of Rwanda for ministry. We have two acres in the, down in the city of Kigali, and we have an old building that was there. And so we've renovated that into kind of a ministry center. Her brother, who owned the property originally, lives on the other half. And so we've just kind of modified it for a warehouse. And, you know. But it's not an acceptable building for a church ministry. It's, and then um, we bought uh, six lots in another larger city. And that's where the Bible College and, the, and the, we were going to plant a, with New Life. But, you know, they're, take, they're doing their own thing. And we... God called us out of that ministry to start a Calvary Chapel church plant in, in Rwanda. So we're on the process of applying and getting all the documentation, and that's been like a, almost a two-year journey. And then we bought some nine lots at a lake, uh, which is not developed in the lake, for a pastoral retreat center. And then we bought another piece of property for maybe eventually a home or something. So, but there's no de- it's all under, undeveloped. It's just bare land. So, so uh, your week at the property in Kilgalley... Um, uh, Elizabeth, on Tuesdays you meet with the ladies, right? Tell us a little bit of what you do on Tuesday. Yeah, on Tuesdays, that's when you have our Bible study. So most of these ladies we are serving, they are very poor. They are the ones who are selling like vegetables, fruits in the city. And they have like, they're making no more than a dollar, a dollar 25 a day. So basically, they go do their their chore in the morning, they go sell or do whatever. And then in the afternoon from three, we meet from three till five. But when they come, we, we are having our corner Bible study, because we have a table, I don't know if there is any picture of that. And then their kids, actually, the younger ones, will be in what we call reading corner. There's, you know, toys. and So they are coming to learn the word of God, but they are also parenting their kids in a very safe environment. Because while we are in Kigali, we have, a kind, I mean, we have, the building has enough space to be able to do that. And... Beyond that, when on Thursdays they come back, we actually we do craft, and I, I told them how to do crochet. All the stuff you see at the table, they do themselves. And now we are in the process of teaching them to sew. And because we took so many sewing machines last time, and we are actually getting more if anyone has some, we are going now to start making actually the hygienic parts for women in mass. And then when they know to do it, they will be able to do something like this themselves. And they, they, this is the only outfit they have because they don't have you know, Gap or whatever. They don't have the brand like you do here. If you don't have second-hand store, you need to make it yourself. And so the sewing machine is the Yes, the because, pump. yeah, most of the, yeah, these are some of the ladies. You can see those are the stuff we are doing. And the, the, some of them, when I met, they didn't even know how to hold a crochet. Yeah, so this is one of the lady, Rachel. She's uh, one of the, the, the lady in the group. So we made, that's a, like a Bible study, as you see over there. And that's actually our building. It's a very, very simple but so many people are being blessed uh, through that way. How many sewing machines do you have? So far, we have only one for the teaching. How many could you use? Well, we have electric ones that we brought. We have electrical, but they can't use electrical unless they know how to yeah. do the basics. So teaching, we want more electrical, maybe, you know. I think maybe if we get 10 in Kigali and 10 in Rurindo, we'll be able to kind of teach as many as possible. Because some can start learning how to cut. Because I have a sample of days for girls' kit anyways, if anyone wants to know about it. But why are we doing that? Maybe I need to add that. Being born and raised in Rwanda, I grew up, maybe I got my pair of shoes when I was maybe, you know, grade six when I got confirmed. Before you were just walking barefoot, you know. Girls are still missing classes because they don't want to go and mess up. So me as a mother and as a lady who grew up there, I know what I'm talking about. When you give this lady a kit, that costs $10 when you, you, you make a value of it. I will show you because I have a sample there. They can go wake up in the morning, go do their working. They can go do their selling. They can go farm. And especially these younger girls, the teenagers, they can go to school. Otherwise, if they don't have something to protect them, so they don't want to go and mess up in class. They will, they will miss classes, you know, five, you know, depending on the, sometimes 
three, four, five, six days before they can get better. So you can imagine if you miss those days every month, you are missing a lot. And I'm for education because I still believe if Rwanda was educated, if we had more knowledge, and I don't think the genocide would have been as bad as it was. So that's why even when we started library <coughs> literacy, I'm thinking like, let us get these people just to understand that there is better than what they can see just around them, to get them outside the box and it will happen only if they have reading books. They get journals, they, you know, so they can really be people who can uh, sustain on their feet by knowing what's happening out, out there as well. And then on Saturday? So on Saturday, that's when we have children, youth. We have uh, men's are not really, maybe Paul can confirm that. They're not as, uh, you know. They're deadbeats. The <laughs> When you have those who are committed, they are very good because we have, we have a few. But women and children and youth, sometimes Saturday we have between 80, and this is just the Kigali site, to 150 kids. Saturday, Saturday when we do the games. Because we took also soccer jerseys and we use those as an outreach activity, like when you have a, when you say you're gonna have a soccer game, the whole community will come and be there. And then that's you when- You have to turn kids away because you don't have enough helpers. Exactly, sometimes it's so much that we can't do it. But, and then Sundays, that's when we have our normal, we call it Bible study, but it's actually a church planting. I mean, we are meeting as normal 10 to sometime one, sometime two. And then Paul will go inside with the adult, and then I'll stay outside, but we need to put them in, in groups. And now we have started actually having some of the team leaders among the kids, because we have been with them over now a year and a half. Some of them have started now to understand, and we are using some of the material. Maybe Paul can share that just to tell you how we are doing Anybody it and reach them. Or heard of the Purple Book? It's from Zondervan Publishing in the States. The Purple it's Book. It's basically a twelve It's a twelve lesson discipleship book. So that has actually been translated into the local language by another ministry, and they gave us uh, quite a few of them ourselves. But before that. This is the earlier version of the Purple Book done many years ago. This was done in another country, but in the local language of Rwanda. So they gave us the file. So we've been, this costs about $2.50, $3 to make. But a lot of people can't afford that. So what we do is we give church ministries oops, or pastors, um, without staples, of course, uh, a, a kind of like a... Uh, a very good condition, and then they go to the print shop and make maybe 10, 20 copies. But this only costs, with the staples, it only costs less than a dollar. Maybe 50 to 50 cents. Yeah, it costs about a dollar. And then, but this is an English copy. We have both English and the local language, Kinyarwanda. So this is very affordable, and they can go through those lessons. And this is, uh, this is kind of not, this is quite common to have someone come to the Bible studies with a Bible like this. So, you know, it's, you know, it's just basically a plastic cover, so they break after a while. So we have a Bible exchange. We have a few Bible exchange programs. Number one, if they come to the Bible studies long enough um, and the Bible is like that or there's missing pages, we offer them a brand new Bible and exchange it. You give us your old one, we will give you a new one. Then the other thing is we also split the cost. If people have no Bible, we can say, okay, if you want to save some money, we can put your money in an envelope with your name on it. Every, every so often when you have a little money to put into it. Um, they weren't too keen on that because, of course, they wanted a free Bible, but we only have an exchange. And um, they want the free Bible so they can... We had an incident where we gave a lady, we exchanged her Bible, like this, actually, I have one exactly like this, but she went and sold the new Bible we gave her. <laughs> so, so for them, it's like they could probably get three to 5,000, you know, selling it cheaper. It's worth 5,500 francs, which is almost like $8 US. So it's not, it's not uh, affordable, it's not cheap for them. I mean, it would take them quite a while. But through the Bible studies, a lot of the ladies um, have come to realize the importance of God's Word. I always tell them that God has a cell phone, and they kind of look at me strangely. And, you know, anybody in our Bible studies, whether it's guys or, or girls, I always say that. And so I explain that. You have a cell phone to talk to people, right? It's a two-way communication. But when you pray, that's your cell phone connection to God. But that's only one way. You need the other way to happen. You need to actually have God speak to you. And that's only through the Word of God. But when they go through these discipleship books that we have, they start to understand the Bible and they go, wow, I need a Bible. I, I, need, to, this is what I, I need to have this at home. I need to teach my kids. So that's where we step in and we've told them, like, if you give us a few of dollars, you know. So once they've got 
the 50% of the cost, then we go buy the Bible from the Bible Society. And also the New Testaments, they don't really teach the New Testament in churches. It's mostly always the Old Testament because they can understand the social interactions with people and the stories of the people's journeys and the life of the characters in the Old Testament. I mean, they understand the Gospels, but when you go to a church, they, pe they preach the word God or Imana in their culture or the Old Testament. They never actually hardly speak the name of Jesus. They never say in Jesus' name when they pray. You know, they just say amen. So it's a whole new thing because Catholics are like a, are a large percentage, like Elizabeth says. Seventh-day Adventists are a large percentage. Um, Pentecostals are, but they've got all mixed up. Like the Adventists, we have a member, a uh, young fellow who's taken the Bible study of Romans. He's one of our students in what we started a Bible college in Rwanda. He said that half of his family is Pentecostal and the other half are Seventh-day Adventists. So, and the same with the wife. They're, they're both split up between the two. So they'll come to him and says, you know, who are those people you're, you're working with in Kigali there? And, you know, what do they believe? Like, are they kind of like, you know, different? But you need to come back to the, the Adventist church because that's the only way you can get to heaven. So it, it's always salvation by works there. They don't understand grace. When Aliyah, who's the person I'm talking about, the young fella, he's... 30, he's got a wife and a child. When he went through Romans, I asked him at the end as kind of a, a, a kind of a summary, what was the most important thing you learned from Romans? He said grace. I didn't understand grace. There was another gentleman, he's a seven-day advocate. He comes to the Bible studies often. He's a bus driver, so most of the time he's not there. Same thing, when we went through Romans, we came to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for them that are in Christ. He didn't say anything during the Bible study, but the next week when he came, he said, you know what? I have peace. I never understood that. And he said, I have peace. So it's making a difference. So, one thing we're looking for that's kind of important, and we can't get them in Rwanda, uh, other than going to a print shop and get this professionally done. We don't have a machine that punches these, these little holes. You know, have you ever seen that machine? And, yeah, so we're looking for one of those. If anybody, like, we've been going to some older um, print shops or around the Lower Mainland of Langley. But, um, so we're looking for one of those machines with a whole pile of these things. And doesn't have to be new, even if it's a used one, but can work. Because we, we want to do as many books as possible. Like in my women group, we did one co class with Donna when she would teach and then I would teach in Rwanda. But because I have to translate, this book I felt actually it's helping them because it gives them the basic foundation of Christianity. And when you, look at the, when you look at the book, it gives them the chance to go through the book themselves and, and write and they can do it at home and share with other people. So we want really to have as many as possible. And if we make it ourselves using all the new students who come to the Bible college, maybe which Paul can talk about. Yeah, it's much cheaper to make it ourselves. So like I said, we started a Bible college, but we also started a school of ministry, which will be happening when we get back. We've rented some buildings in about 20 minutes north of Kigali in the northern province. It's just across the border in the northern province. So we built, we rented a compound for like $400 a month, um, maybe 450 Canadian, yeah. So they have many different buildings. They've got one large building. We have a library in, the, in one of, in there's, there's two buildings. One building that has two rooms, big rooms, like as big as this, maybe three quarters of this, and we built a library in one. And the other is just an open auditorium where we'll do some work. Then one of the other buildings has a large auditorium like this in it, and it then has rooming houses, like rooming rooms for people to live in. They've already got closets and everything, so we've been making some woodwork and tables and chairs and stuff like that. So what the plan is, and they've got some other living quarter buildings as well in a, in a kitchen. So the plan is that we'll have 10 students for Calvary Chapel School of Ministry where they get pastor training. For It's a two-year program, and one of the Rwandans who we know from Rwanda has been living in Uganda, has taken the school with the Calvary Chapels there, has been a student of the program. Then he just recently has been teaching for two years his own uh, students, and then he, they graduated in December, and he said, when you get the school of ministry, well, he's already in the process of moving back to Rwanda to help us be that teacher for that school of ministry. And then we have Janvier. Janvier uh, already has a bachelor's degree from a university in Rwanda. He has actually given up a job with the Rwandan government to come and join the school of ministry. He's our translator. He's actually in Rolindo at that compound doing outreach discipleship programs with these books that we have. 
working with the youth and the children and having, oh, and he kind of manages the library as well. So what do you do with all your time off? <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> no, sometimes I get up, I'm a, kind of an early bird, so I'm up between five and seven and uh, a lot of it's, you know, like even when, before we left, there, there were so many things that we were doing, it was like, I wasn't getting much sleep. She wasn't, you know, she likes to sleep, you know. She'll, she'll sleep in. She has no problem sleeping, but. The Lord gives rest, sister. <laughs> For the school of ministry, I'm talking in terms of a woman because I'm helping with setting it up. We are looking any bigger port, but I don't know. We'll be here till tomorrow. Maybe we'll make announcement. Yeah. So bigger ports that we can use, like if you have uh, coffee. Oh, we're looking for coffee or liquid beverage dispensers, you know, like we have outside, you have there, like large containers, and yeah, or just the ones that you store the hot liquid in without having to cook it. Electricity is no problem. We have both voltages in, in, in Africa and Rwanda. Some bedding. Beddings, if you have some towers you want to give. We prefer the good one. If they're new, it's better, but if you have the one used, but they're in good condition, we can take them, the towers for them, because the ten will be living at the... At the at so you're taking... In the a container. A container over yes. when you go back. Yes. So if we can get all this stuff to you, you'll put it in the container. So. so nope. <laughs> okay, thank you. Sorry. I no. <laughs> not to contradict you. Um, tomorrow, they're leaving around noon tomorrow. Maybe one? Maybe a little later? Yeah, we're, we're going south to Rock Creek area, to have some relatives there. And then we're going back to Vancouver. So if we, we could also come back this way. So... What Elizabeth and I talked about is there are a number of items that could be donated that they could really use. Canning jars are one. Um, if you have a sewing machine, even if it's an electric sewing machine that you're not using and you'd like to give it away, and then just some of the items that they've mentioned, the bedding, the whatever it's called, <laughs> and, um, and towels, good quality towels. Um, Right. So if you could, if you have them and you have time tomorrow morning to drop them off at the church office, I'll collect them at the church office and then the Johnsons will stop by um, on their way home to pick them up. And I know that doesn't give you much time and I'm sorry we should have been on that earlier. But, um, but you know, God can do anything, right? We need to apologize because we didn't know that we sent a container. When we left Rwanda, we had that as a prayer request. But we went to California. Maybe you need to mention a little bit to visit. Come, you know, at the conference. That's when we got the money. Otherwise, we didn't have money to do it. Yeah, we'd always wanted to send a container because we were looking for a twelve to fifteen passenger, you know, like a three-quarter ton uh, Ford Econoline uh, sort of a bus, you know, only because we could carry the books with it and also move people around and stuff like that. Because we could actually, the more libraries we were also helping thirty other libraries, like little small. Someone made their own bookshelf, sort of community libraries that they've done on their own. So in Rwanda, we're the only ones that actually have libraries. There are no other libraries other than there's one big public library that was put there by the Rotary Clubs of Rwanda. So she's also on the consortium of the, these community libraries that they've started. She's one of the members on that. So about the container, so we only have an SUV, a Suzuki, so, but we can pack as much stuff in there as possible. So don't worry about that, but uh, if you can spare some articles. And then when we went, when we came back from Rwanda in, in Langley, our pastor, he said, well, there's a conference, a missions conference in California at the uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta. So he said, okay, we're going to send you there. So we went there. Now there's another pastor and another church ministry at Calvary Chapel Church called San Juan Capistrano. They do a pastor wives conference in Uganda for all the Calvary Chapel people, like all the pastors and wives, the national pastors, as all well as the missionaries like ourselves. And they've been, we've been, we've gone to that like two years. So when we went to California, they're only like an hour drive. So we said, we'll come and meet them. And so they actually hosted us. Uh, they found a couple in the church to host us. We stayed there a week. And then they are actually, they, they stepped forward. Because that gentleman who's the assistant pastor, Gary, he's been to Rwanda in 94 after the genocide as a humanitarian aid worker the, with a group of people. And he, it actually became too much for him, and he, he ended up going back to California. He couldn't handle it anymore. And he's a policeman. But he's now the assistant pastor of that uh, San Juan Capistrano Church, and he is the missions director as well. So he said, you know what? I'm going to make an application for you guys for support. So they've committed to giving us a small monthly support, but they're giving us a check for 5000 U.S. towards a container. So that's probably 7000 in Canadian. 
So that, with the church donations we had the previous month in December, because we had a, we had a, a Rwanda supper, and uh, the church has given us almost the same amount. So that kind of gives us a head start. But we found out the containers now are three times the price. We paid $2,400 last time we were here. Now they're 4700 almost 5000 for a 40-foot container. Uh, I won't tell you why, but I was told why, but it's just that the supply and demand, uh, you know, for that is, is unreal. So one last question. Um, and the tangible support is great, but how, how can we pray for you? Well, number one, pray for our marriage. Grab a prayer card on the table if you don't have one already. That's what they look like. And basically, that's our, you know, that's the flag of Rwanda, and that's our picture. Plus, we have some very basic, normal ministry items. Uh, of course, we have Grace Rwanda's at the top and, and New Life, but that's now part of the Calvary Chapel ministry. Uh, literacy, community development, employment. And then for the pastoral training, church planting, baptism, you know, they're, they're pretty basic for just, you know, Christian missions and stuff. So, but really, we need prayer for ourselves. We need peace. Um, we need faith. We continue. God challenges our faith to grow and depend upon him. So basically, we've given everything to him and said, you know what, you're responsible, not us. We've taken that burden off our shoulders. And he's, you know, we, we just, it's okay. We continue with the faith and trusting the Lord for provision. Especially we're starting from, from zero with the Calvary Chapel Ministries. And we need a rental building. Like in Kigali, because we have two acres, we don't have any building. We, with the modern zoning and the construction requirements in Rwanda, we can't use our existing building or we can't make a traditional structure out of you know, mud bricks and stuff that you can do. Because they've had buildings collapse on people and stuff and because of the rain and all that. So anyway, so we're pray for a rental property or a rental facility that we can actually start uh, the ministry center for the Calvary Chapel Ministry there in Kigali and also to have a couple extra rooms to start the Bible school as well. Uh, just one last thing. Um, Elizabeth was recently interviewed and um, about her experience through the genocide. And uh, there is a link in the Calvary Chapel Bulletin. Uh, you can see that interview, and it's quite powerful. So, yes. Really? Thank you for that information. I tried it, and it did. That's weird no i will i will fix that and i'll include it in next week's bulletin but uh maybe we can yeah so if you just go on the internet and hit google if you, you can do that now if whoever has electronic devices and you just put his channel his channel and it'll get you to a website called his channel and then there will be a whole pile of like you know videos but you then you look up focus point so it's his channel as the main website, and then under that you look up, where you look through the pictures and look for focus point, and then you'll come to another area where they have some videos and look for the one dated, the, rec the most recent dated one. This Thursday there'll be a new one from somebody else. It was done by Pastor Randall. Even if you go John Randall, it, it will come up right away. And then there's my name, Elizabeth Johnson, I guess, yeah. So if you... Uh at the conclusion, if you want to go to their table out there and purchase some things or just uh, you have some stuff or you have questions, they'll be there. And uh, just take your time, introduce yourself, and ask any questions that you'd like. And perhaps uh, the Lord has stirred your heart with some things that you could uh, bring to uh, help them. And so time is moving on, and I think we'll pray for you now. Is that fine? Thank you. All right. Come to Rwanda. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, would you join us up here, please? I don't know. Gerald's teaching. Justin? Well, Lord, we uh, bless you and we thank you for uh, just the uh, opportunity to hear uh, what's going on in Rwanda the step of faith that Paul and Elizabeth have taken and their desire, Lord, to see Rwandans planted in the word of God and uh, to be rooted and grounded in a faith that, Lord, is based upon the solid, unchanging principles of God's word. 
We thank you, Lord, for all of the favor that you have given them with the building of libraries, with, Lord, reaching into children and into, Lord, the women. And, Father, for the Bible studies and the desire, Lord God, to train up young people uh, so that they would have a thorough grasp of the Word of God and be able to go into the country of Rwanda and plant churches, which, Lord, would begin to break down all of those walls of hatred and the wounds that are not seen by the visible eye but are carried very deeply. We commit their marriage to you, and we pray, Lord, that you would watch over them as they labor together. We ask, Lord, that you would give them patience and forbearance and wisdom and gentleness, Lord, as they walk through, Lord, uh, the trials of leadership. We pray that you will give their application that has been before the government uh, favor and that, Father, they would be able to uh, hang their shingle, as it were, on the front door and say, Calvary Chapel, Rwanda. And, Father, we ask that uh, you would continue to bring hungry hearts to them. We ask, Lord, that you will bring provision to them, Lord, and that you will supply, Father, for the numerous needs that have been mentioned this morning and so many before, uh, besides that. Thank you that they could be with us today. We count it an honor, and Lord, we seal them, we bless them in the mighty name of Jesus for your glory and your honor. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to let you guys go to your table so that uh, anyone that wants to come by and ask you questions and perhaps help, why don't we stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we could celebrate the table of the Lord, that, Lord, we could be challenged uh, um, in such practical ways. Uh, we pray now, Lord, that uh, we will go serving you, proclaiming you, making you known, Lord, wherever our paths, wherever our feet should take us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.